Hi, Bromley. It's so good to talk with you. I'm so excited to have the chance to tell you about my book. Let's get started. Tell me, tell me about it. So the book is called Good Christian Sex, Why Chastity Isn't the Only Option and Other Things the Bible Says About Sex. And um, it is, it's it's funny. I mean, it's I'm looking at the back of it and it says it's a religion, Christian life, personal growth book. Um, and so uh, it was a, it's a funny thing because in my mind it's part memoir, but also mostly sort of, theological ethics primer and it's about sex but it's also about love and faith and you know how we live good christian lives um so so i'm very excited about it it's uh, i've been working on it in various forms and ways for like 10 years so it feels very exciting to have it published now wow um what what made you want to write this book in the first place I grew up in um, a mainline Protestant congregation. I'm a preacher's kid, and so, you know, was in church all the time, loved church. Didn't ever really think I'd be in ministry until that call came um, when I was a graduate student. But um, but we never really talked a whole lot about what would make, uh, what my faith had to do with, like, my sex life or imagined sex life. You know, there was not really that connection made in the, the congregation that we were growing up. So um, most of the scripts that we had were uh, fairly cultural, uh, you know, just generic American culture. Um, so I took much more from what was on TV than necessarily what was being talked about in church. Um, but but when I got to grad school, uh, I, I studied, I did a Master's of Divinity, which is the ministry degree uh, required in my denomination for ordination. And while I was there, I was interested in sexual ethics as a course of study. And, and I read, actually, Josh Harris's I Kiss Dating Goodbye, and then the second one, like, uh, I think it was, Boy meets, Boy meets girl, girl. maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I read those, and and they were very counter to what I had grown up with, and and I was sort of already, um, like that ship had sailed. I was not going to be courting my future spouse, you know. Plus, I was twenty-two, not seventeen. So so I didn't. I read it sort of, you know, with a scholarly eye. But the thing that made me so irate about it actually was this suggestion that sort of any relationships that you had outside of marriage, regardless of like what, you know, sexual activity happened within them, any kind of romantic relationships would damage your heart irreparably and didn't count as real love, you know, that that they could only be married. Only in marriage were these things healthy and holy. And, And I had been in love a couple times. By then, I had a high school boyfriend who I loved dearly and was very good to me, and I tried to be good to him. And and then we broke up, as you often do with your high school love. Um, and then I dated someone in college for a number of years who I loved very dearly and thought maybe I would marry, and we didn't ultimately. But but it was still a tremendous gift to have that relationship. And so so that sort of got me started thinking about what is it about this line of marriage as the only arbiter of what makes sex and love holy or not. And so the book kind of grew out of that 
question that I've been asking on and off in different ways for low these many years now. So, <laughs> um, so that that kind of leads into my next question, which is that many of our readers, I think, came of age during you know the Joshua Harris and the True Love Waits movement and purity culture. Can you can you speak a little about how your approach is different, kind of building on what you said in, in the earlier question? Yeah. So um, I think it's different because, so in my denomination, um, the question that has been ripping us apart is usually around um, the question of whether or not um, LGBT folks can be wholly full participating members of the church. Mm-hmm. And there was very little conversation ever about um, what it was like to fall in love or what it was like to um, desire pleasure or intimacy. You know, all the sort of, um, all the feelings around romantic and sexual relationships sort of went unexamined. And um, and in some ways, those questions about intimacy and vulnerability are raised in purity culture you know, in some ways, um, I mean, Josh Harris certainly talks about temptation, um, but but the responses to those uh, questions are very different um, in in my book than in some of the you know the the great tomes of of purity culture, um, because you know, Josh Harris talks about temptation and he sort of you know says cast your eyes on Jesus and run, you know, um, whereas <laughs> I sort of have this, you know, this question of, well, what is this about? And is this, you know, is this a holy thing or is this a dangerous thing or um, what's at stake for me and what's at stake for the other person? Uh, so so there's a sort of, um, I wanted to ask these questions about, you know, the the critical feelings that people have and that I've had and, and sort of, break them open and and probe them a little bit more and and to do so without fear um i believe very strongly in the power of god's grace um in our lives and so i wanted you know i wanted to equip people to look at their own lives and 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 their experiences and and to not be ashamed about things that they'd done or not done but to to just kind of explore their feelings a little bit more in the light of faith and the scriptures and the whole Christian tradition. Hmm. So it it feels like your book encourages a step away from black and white theology. And in some ways it might seem more permissive than what people have been taught. But in other ways, you, you're really holding up a much higher standard, especially in marriage. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, Indeed, I, I think that for a long time churches, and even my own denomination says um, the sort of standard line is celibacy and singleness and fidelity in marriage. And so that line of whether or not you're married is the only question that's asked about whether or not sex is holy. Um, and and two, you know, there's a sense of like what sex is is very clear. You know, um, there's uh, and and. and I mean that's what the 
purity culture sort of upped the standards in some ways because it was like anything that feels, you know, anything that feels like it might be fun, you shouldn't be doing. Um, but, uh, you know, so not just sex itself, but what are you feeling? Um, I, so I'm shifting in some ways and, and the way that I like to talk about it is that marriage is not a sufficient norm. Um, so, so that's to say, so the norm is, you know, what makes the rule um, in ethics talk. And and so to say that um, marriage is not a sufficient norm is to say that that's not enough. Um, there are other questions involved, uh, like uh, are both partners freely participating? Does this encounter and does this relationship reflect you know, that they are created in the image of God. Um, is this loving um, and not just role-driven? You know, is this not just because, you know, people who are married are obligated to sleep with each other out of duty? You know, but, like, is this actually a healthy um, dynamic that they have in the rest of their marriage that's then reflected in their sexual relationship? I read... Um, Mark Driscoll's book, and I know he's sort of been, in the time since this book has been written and published, I know he's taken many steps back from his congregation, but he wrote this book called Real Marriage, I think, with his wife. And even he talks about how uh, just being married did not make their lives, you know, their sex lives work well together. Um, And he tells a story about how it was actually, you know, a really dark space in their marriage, their sexual relationship. And so so I kind of want to look at that and sort of say, well, yeah, there are actually, there's a lot more stuff. Just getting married isn't going to make this holy. Um, but in fact, we have a lot more things to think about, too. So while this is a book about sex, um, it's also about fidelity and heartbreak, friendship and romance, and so many other things. How did you choose the scope of what to include? Um, I do feel like this book will be disappointing in some ways to those who are looking for something really titillating. Um, though I remind everybody that like my grandparents are yet alive and they read my stuff. So um, anything that I can't look my grandparents in the face is not on the page. Um, but uh, but no, it's really very much about all these other things. Um, and it's much less about individual sexual acts or practices of which there is an infinite variety that, you know, I don't really have any need to talk about in great detail. I, I kind of joke that this book is a sex book full of euphemisms and broader themes, you know. Um, but but how did I pick those broader themes? Um, I, I think that I wanted to look at things that are theologically interesting in some ways or theologically complicated um, in our tradition, you know, uh we have uh we have deep concerns historically about what to make of desire um of wanting things as christians you know we in some ways anything that we desire other than god has been cast as evil so what do we do with sexual desire um particularly because if you're married you want to keep sexual desire in your you know um, it's not evil then, right? Um, so, so things that were sort of theologically interesting, like desire or pleasure, um, 
And then things that, I've been a pastor now, I've served full-time in churches since 2005, so over over 10 years. And um, and so I wanted to look at the things that were, um, that have come up in my pastoral work, things that are hard for people. Um, you know, so I wanted to talk about fidelity and faithfulness in relationships, and I wanted to talk about um, intimacy and vulnerability and I wanted to talk about the things that have come before. I do a lot of weddings, um, and uh, so so things that come up when I'm talking to couples, questions that they have about how to be together and how to talk about things um, with with their partner. I think I, part of my hope for the book was that I'm helping people to have language, and not just, you know... Um, I mean, specifically Christian language um, to talk about these things and, and specifically biblical metaphors to kind of explore these different questions about how to live together in love. Um, so those are that's sort of how I picked topics. Is, is there a part of this book that makes you more nervous to share than other parts? A lot of these topics are about things that are deeply private. Uh, they are things that we do not talk about in, you know, polite company or with our parents. Um, in Lauren Winner's book, is it Real Sex? Is that her book? Um, mm, that yeah, she, I think so. Is, uh, I can't remember what it was. But um, she talked about how, you know, never wanting to, you know, that the line for sexual practice should be, you know, never anything that you would, not do in the gazebo, you know, in the in the middle of town or something you wouldn't be able to do in front of your your pastor or your parents. And you know, and here I am writing about all of these things, you know, for all the world to see. So, in some ways it feels immodest. Um I did try very hard to make sure that I knew why I was including any particular story or any particular topic um, that I was doing so because it needed to be discussed or it needed to be told, not for me, but for the purpose of the book and for the purpose, I hope, of readers who could use this sort of pastoral walk through things. So, So I did do a lot of thinking about what to include and whether or not it was worth the risk. That said, it still feels funny that my first chapter is about self-pleasure and self-love. Um, it's sort of deeply embarrassing. And I acknowledge that in the book, that this is the chapter where I'd love to just quote my interviews with other people and my survey responses and, you know, and uh, and not include anything about myself. Um, but, so that one makes me nervous. And the, and in the I think the second chapter I actually tell the story of the first time that I had sex. Um and I had left that story out for a long time. One because it was something that just felt really private. Um and and also because it wasn't necessarily an unambiguous experience. Um but I ultimately decided that it was worth including because it was an ambiguous experience. And I think a lot of us have ambiguous experiences, not just sexually, but but in relationships. And, and so um, it felt important to sort of demonstrate how, you know, we can have mixed feelings about things. Um, so, so I'm nervous about 
what those responses will be. Um, but but uh, but I'm also ready to take the risk. So. Mm-hmm. And what would you say then on the flip side of that is something that you're really excited to share? Um, I'm very proud of, I'm, I'm very proud of the whole thing. Um, no, uh, but I'm really proud of, um, I think the chapters on, um, fidelity and how sort of, uh, the chapter is called, um, the avoidable and the inevitable sort of how do we how do we know how to think about long term love and how to know when it's time to stay or go um not necessarily in terms of marriage i generally think that like if you've gotten to the point where you're married you want to do absolutely everything you can to make sure that you can stay married um but uh um but but so this question about how to be together in the long term. And I'm excited about that um because uh I think those are things that are I mean, marriage is both harder and easier than it looks, you know? Um and and I think fidelity is also true um that's also true of fidelity. I mar- you know, I have I said earlier I do a lot of weddings and there are Folks usually come in to get married when they've been together for a few years, and so they're still head over heels in love, and they want to tell you that they never fight and that they never look at anybody else, and being faithful to the other person is definitely not a problem and never will be, if you know what I mean. You know, I mean, they're really so excited. Um, and And for me... You know, one of the ways that I knew that I wanted to marry my husband was that, indeed, for the first, you know, two years that we were together, I it was the first time that, like, monogamy, lifelong monogamy was exciting to me. I was mm-hmm. like, yes, we are going to build a life together. And it was the first time that, like, I never looked at anybody else. It was like, this is the one for me. Um, but, uh, but... um but then, you know, after a couple of years, like, I'm human. Like, we both notice different actors and actors. You know, we're like, oh, that person's attractive. You know, I mean, and so part of um, part of what was important for me and that I want to share with other people is that, like, those things are not necessarily a sign that your marriage is in trouble. Um, you know, like, normal human responses to things are not, like, a threat. What you do with anything you know how you respond to anything in the world is the thing that makes or breaks a relationship you know um there are faithful responses and then there are less faithful responses and then there are not faithful responses so um so i'm excited about that i'm also really excited about the chapter for singles um or not for singles but on singleness in particular um that was the hardest one for me to write because as i said i'm like an old married lady and i was terrible at being single i was deeply anxious about it all the time i you know um and so uh so i worked really hard on it that's the one that went through the most drafts and um and i'm hopeful that there is like a comforting word because i know that for those who 
don't would rather be partnered, um, singleness can be a, a, a challenge. Um, but so so I'm but also like a tremendous gift also and and so um, I don't know so I'm hopeful that that chapter will be helpful for people. So how would you say that writing this book has shaped your image of God? I grew up, as I said, in a mainline congregation, as in several, but always in the same denomination. And and I always felt like uh, God was about the world. Um, you know, God was about big social issues like poverty um, and war, and uh, you know, and how Christians are called to respond the brokenness of the world um and and in thinking through you know this book um and the topics in it i i really do now believe that god is in our most intimate relationships and is with us as we ask these you know both small and large questions about who we are as individuals um it's it's funny sometimes to to say this to some people who grew up very differently um but i don't think i really understood like like we talked about social sin you know like turning your backs on the poor um but we never really talked about personal sin i i thought my job as a christian was to make the world a better place it wasn't like to avoid sin um and and i was I had sort of just graduated from college when I really hurt my boyfriend. Um, and I experienced myself as a sinner for the first time. And, um, and, and, and it felt terrible. <laughs> it felt terrible. I, I'd never, um, I'd never really hurt somebody like that before. And I couldn't believe that I could do that. Um, and, and so knowing, and then had this experience where my father was like, you know, everything will be all right again. And I didn't, you know, and I didn't believe that for a long time. And then eventually it was. And and I I believe that's God's grace, you know, that everything was all right again. Um, and so 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 experiencing God in that sort of new and personal way, um, and just remembering that and and being revived in that commitment through the writing of this book. It's just a lovely thing. Um, so. so as as we close, I, I want to ask you, um, just tell me what, what is your hope for your readers as you send this book into the world? I don't expect that everyone will agree with me about everything. Um, I mean, obviously I think they should, but, you know, uh, but <laughs> I don't expect that. Um, but I hope that this introduces folks to thinking about questions of both faith and relationships in ways that they maybe didn't even know existed. Um, I mean, a lot of us know certain texts as the ones that you talk about when you're talking about sex and love, you know, like the ones in Ephesians. And we definitely have to talk about the creation story and the fall. And then we definitely have to talk about... Uh, you know, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. But but I really wanted to, you know, open up the 
depth and the breadth of the Bible and the Christian tradition to kind of show folks how many resources we have for thinking about how to order our intimate lives. Um, there's there's a lot more than, you know, six texts that you got in your, you know, youth group sexuality study. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes towards building a Christian life. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to show people what's out there in in some ways that maybe they hadn't thought about before. Um and and I hope that that's a that's a good and useful thing. Um I tend to think that the more resources people have in order to make sense of things, the better off they feel, the more empowered they feel. And I think that's what I want ultimately. Um the um there's there was the Pope Francis wrote Recently, he had this whole new letter that was on um, love and the family. And in that letter, he talked, I mean, it's like 200 some odd pages long, and he talks about marriage and family and divorce and sexuality. And he didn't uh, change any church teaching exactly in writing this letter. But one of the things that he did do was encourage priests and individually faithful people to be aware of the complex circumstances in which people find themselves. Um, he didn't say that marriage isn't a sacrament and that divorce is okay. You know, that would have changed church teaching. But he did say that, you know, there are reasons why people divorce. And some of them are are the best reasons in a you know terrible situation, and so when the church is thinking about how to respond uh to one another um and and to the individual parishioners there, you know we need to respond not first with doctrine but with pastoral love and to help people discern what is the right thing and so I hope that this book, my book. Um, just like the Pope. No, uh, you know, I think I do challenge church teaching in some ways, um, or what people think of as church teaching, um, but certainly Catholic church teaching. But um, but rather uh, that this book will empower folks to do their own discerning. Um, you know, that we live in a complicated world and our relationships are often complex. And and so how I want people to have the tools to feel empowered to navigate those complex situations and to live as faithfully as they can within there. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Bromley. It's just been a delight. Oh, I'm so excited to have the opportunity. Thank you.